Fletcher, Chief Growth Officer at Cypress North. We're a digital agency in Buffalo, New York, and you're listening to The Agency Scoop. Each episode, I'll tackle a specific topic from an agency point of view. We're gonna talk about what's helping us grow, challenges that we face, how we're working with our clients, and even things that bring us joy. Welcome to this month's episode of the Agency Scoop. Before I get into the main topic about how we build websites and our process for that, I'm going to talk a little bit about something that everyone here at Cypress North is excited about this time of year when we announce our annual profit sharing. So we have a really good system, I think, of sharing our profits back with our staff that that do all of the work. As you know, as an agency, our product is our people. And without our people, we have nothing to offer our clients, right? So what we'd like to do this time of year is share that success with our amazing employees. So how we have our profit sharing structured is that 20% of our annual profits is reinvested back into our employees. And it is all based on the length of time that they've been at the agency in their tenure. It doesn't matter their position or the clients that they work on or anything like that, everyone is vested after one year of being with the agency. This helps us ensure that we're not keeping people around that aren't pulling their weight or aren't helping us accomplish our goals. We're also, it also keeps all of our people with their eye on the prize and and helping the agency. So nobody is just working on the one thing that they're involved with. Everyone's really interested in how well the agency is doing overall. How are we bringing in new clients? How are we servicing our existing clients? the fact that we're doing the best work possible for every single project, everyone is rewarded based on all of those things. So we take the 20% of our of the profits and we divide it out and, and give it to people based on their time with the company. And then we share that information, which I think is really important. So you don't just know what you have as a one-year employee or a four-year employee. We share that table with everyone so that people who have been here for less than a year can see what they can expect. If we have a similar year next year, they can see what they can expect next year. They can also see what people are earning who have been here for a long time. So I think that transparency really helps as a motivator and it it keeps us at task with being transparent with our people. So when we don't have as good of a year, everyone knows that. And when we have a great year, everyone benefits from that. So as long as we're making money, the awesome people who work here are also making money and reaping those benefits. And that's what's most important to us is taking care of our people. I kept the behind the scenes a little bit short today because next I have an awesome interview with Matt Mombre, our Chief Technology Officer here at Cypress North. We're going to talk about website development process, how we developed it, how it's changed over time, why we do what we do, what clients can look for, how they can choose their right website vendor, all of those great things. And it's a really great discussion that I hope will be a great resource for you. Matt is one of the founders of our company and has been a software engineer for over 15 years. He comes with a wealth of experience and and information on this topic. And I'm just really excited for you all to listen to it. Well, thanks, Matt, for coming on the Agency Scoop again. I know it's your favorite thing to do. Sure. Happy to be back. (laughs) I thought it'd be fun to walk through our process of building a website end to end for anyone that's interested in that kind of tutorial of going through that process and building a website. Definitely. Our process is really important and it's something that 
we put a lot of time into refining over the last decade or so because really anyone can build a website or say they can build a website, especially given the tools out there today with things like Wix or Squarespace or even WordPress if they just try it on their own. But what you get from a legitimate agency like Cypress North is the experience and the process that we have put together over time. And so when we do a project like this, we approach it from a perspective of getting to know our customer at a really deep level before we even start anything, which is really valuable. Uh, I think it's an underrated aspect of the project, and we call that phase our research and discovery phase. And as you know, we start this out normally with a discovery questionnaire. Um, we have a series of pretty general questions that relate to most businesses out there. So we do tailor them a, a bit to the specific client that we're working on if there are unique elements to their business. But for the most part, it's general information that anyone should be able to answer about their own company. Things like who their client is, who their target audience is, who their target personas are, what they do. You know, some of it is really basic, um, but they're good answers to get ahead of time for everyone on our staff and sometimes for them internally. It helps them draw out who they really are if they've never done that before. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've run into that, you know, where a company might not even have written down their identity before and they use it as an excuse. Yeah, it, it's really helpful and it's interesting because whenever we talk to someone about a new project, they don't really understand this whole discovery process until they get into it and see how valuable it is because what one person might think as the CMO of a company, they come on this and they have maybe not totally different answers, hopefully not, but they might have a very different perspective than the CTO or the president of a company. And there's sometimes a lot of gaps in those answers where we draw those gaps out and, and really question them to become aligned and make sure that we really understand what they're trying to accomplish. One of the other common things that happens is that all of the people at the company don't necessarily want to take the time to get involved and they think, oh, we'll just have the project manager on this website project do the discovery with you. But why do you think it's really important that we have more stakeholders involved in the process? Well, because not only is it really important for us to gain an understanding of the client and their business, it's also really important for them to put down their thoughts all in one place and hear from each of the major key stakeholders what they feel are the most important goals for the project. Um, sometimes it's as simple as their mission statement or what they're looking to do in three years versus five years. Internally, it's common that people think that they're all on the same page until they put it all on paper and then we get all the answers. They don't see them all at once. And we find out that there are big discrepancies between people's viewpoints. And so following the discovery questionnaire, we take all of their responses and we consolidate them on our end and we review all of the answers and we draw out those discrepancies. And the next step of the process is a discovery workshop meeting, we call it. Um, and that is an hour to an hour and a half meeting where we all get together and kind of have a casual conversation recapping all of the answers that we received and we talk through these misalignments and we hash out uh, the differences in real time. It's, it's pretty eye-opening for a lot of clients. They, they're shocked that people think one thing or another and you know, like, I can't believe you thought that's what we're trying to do. And we're like, yeah, that's, that's exactly why we're doing this process. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of times people have just a kickoff meeting and they'll talk through the goals. And in times like that, when you don't have that questionnaire to fall back on, many times one person will do all of the talking. Is that where you came up with a questionnaire or how did that become part of the process? I think it became part of the process just from a general need to understand every company that we work with from a basic level. And so rather than just asking them every time in a meeting or a phone call, we give it to them on their own time so that we can start out with that baseline um, consistently for every project. But we learned over time, like which types of questions need to be added there as we ran into issues you know, later on in a project, if something became a, a misalignment and we proceeded too far before the president of the company ever had his input, you know, we learned that we need to get all the right people to fill out this questionnaire. And it's a lot easier to send someone a document to fill out in a week or two than it is to schedule a meeting with the CEO of a company and all their marketing people and whoever else might be important. Mm -hmm. And it's not only important on the client side who they involve from the beginning, but who we bring to the table in the beginning of that project. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, that's very important, all the people who are involved. Um, and on our side, we bring a resource from each of our departments to the meetings so that they start from the beginning with the context they need. So that's normally the developer that's going to be working on the project you know, later on in the effort, our creative director who is leading this discovery and obviously the design of the new site, a marketing person who is going to be working through all of those tasks, setting it up for success from the very beginning, and then generally a project manager as well. And sometimes we have multiple people from each department there, depending on the size of the project. So when we have everyone starting from the very beginning, gaining that baseline understanding, uh, it just makes things go much smoother later on. They're able to anticipate changes or issues, and you don't just get a scenario where someone is blindly being handed a new website designed to create and development with no idea what the actual goal was. Um, instead, they understand the client and what they're trying to achieve and they're able to build a better product. After the discovery meeting, we regroup on our side and come back with that consensus that we reached during the discovery workshop. And we put that together in a document called the positioning presentation to really show what we learned and align all of the goals, all of the things that we heard. Can you talk a little bit about that process and what, what goes on after that? Yeah, absolutely. The positioning statement or positioning document is a really important piece of information for every company. And depending on where your company is and it's maturity or sometimes even really long-standing companies don't have one just because they weren't a thing you know 30 years ago um, you may already have one sometimes clients have a positioning document and in that case we take theirs and then we incorporate it into our own um, and other times we use something called a creative brief which is kind of a trim back positioning document but in the end they both serve the same purpose it's a distilled down and concise representation of who you are as a company, um, maybe who you aspire to be in the future, and um, a clear mission statement for your company containing things like pillars that you build all of your marketing materials based on. Pillars might be keywords that represent who you are and what you're trying to achieve. 
personality, tone of voice, the way you speak to your customer. Um, it can even go as far as being visual representations and, and treatments to things like photography or video, how you want to represent yourself as a brand overall. So this document is something that anchors everything you do going forward, and it's really an important first step. So we'll take everything we learned from the discovery process, we'll put it into our own words and give it back to the client in this positioning document and say, hey, does this feel like you? Like, are we speaking in your voice? Have we heard you correctly? Are we getting the right message so that we can act on your behalf moving forward without having to ask you every step of the way if we're doing the right thing? Like, we'll know mm -hmm. at that point. So that's kind of a back and forth process to nail that down accurately at that stage of the process too. Mm -hmm. And we don't typically move forward past that until we really have that confirmation that yes, this document is correct. It could be 10 pages, it could be 50 pages, depending on the complexity of the company and what we're trying to achieve. But we want to make sure that that's correct and that all of the people in that meeting really reviewed it and feel confident that we get them. Yeah. And it's really personal too. A lot of people have a lot of feelings about the positioning statement or the positioning document, especially if they've never been through the process before. It draws out all kinds of decisions you might not have had to make in the past. Mm -hmm. Who you are, who you want to be, how you speak to people. Like these are deep things for any brand. And if you're starting from scratch, sometimes it takes a lot of back and forth and revision to get it to where they really feel comfortable with it being them. And, you know, mm -hmm. so that we can move forward in that vein. Definitely. One of one of my favorite parts of it is coming up with the personas of who they're trying to target. And that's really interesting because a lot of times we're coming in and somebody from customer service has a very different perspective of who their target audience is than someone in marketing. And we need to align them on who do you aspire your target audience to be? Who do you want to continue serving? Not, you know, one customer that's a legacy customer that's been around forever. If you don't want more customers like that, let's not build the website around that customer. Let's talk about who is your core customer, who are your secondary customers, and who is it really important that this website speaks to? Yeah, the customer personas are a fun exercise because... It always gets hung up on the wide variety of different types of customers you might expect in your business, but it really needs to be honed in on the most prioritized groups of customers that you have, not you know every single outlier. So we kind of take the first shot at defining those with some help from the client, and we put together a fake person with a fake name and a fake profile and we make up a backstory and mm -hmm. it should be reflective of their actual customer and what they're trying to achieve but you know all made up with different goals different things they're looking to get out of your website and those are a, a big part of the positioning presentation that needs to be agreed upon by the client um, because along with the persona like i'm jane doe and i'm uh, a, a at home chef and i'm coming to this website because i want to learn more about how to make pizza and my goal is to just get a recipe and then leave um, what we do with those personas once they're agreed upon is that we create a user journey that goes along with it and that is how did this person enter your website what did they do once they got there how did they navigate through your site and ultimately how did they get what they needed in the end and does it, does it achieve 
the goal you you set out for them to achieve and that's all a big part of it as well mm -hmm. well and you touched on you know coming into the next step when you thought talked about their user journey and how did they find the site a big part of how we build sites is making sure they have that organic marketing foundation and that they have it set up for success so that when people are searching for the keywords that will lead them to your business, that the website is set up to serve that to search engines. So the next step really after the positioning presentation is that our marketing person comes up with a site map, which is a general idea of the structure of the site. And most people would think that the next step is going to be they're going to see a design of the homepage, but we do have a couple steps before then to set us up for success. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the sitemap and, and wireframing. Yeah, and that's a really big value proposition at Cypress North is the fact that we have experts at the marketing level, at the software development level, and at the design level all working here. You know, we don't outsource any of that stuff. So we are working together from the very beginning for each of these different goals together so that we know that we're not going to get too far away from a marketing initiative. Um, we're closely aligned with what they're trying to do so that everything the design team does is focused on achieving the marketing goals. Everything the development team does is also focused on achieving the design goals and the marketing goals. And along the way, creative is always keeping in touch with development, making sure what they're proposing visually is going to actually work once we start programming it. Um, so that's like a really big value proposition for us is having all of those arms together during this process. And most agencies do not have that expertise. Mm -hmm. How many times does someone call us after they just launched a website and said, we didn't do anything with SEO? Can you SEO it up? Right. Yeah. <laughs> or they forgot to redirect their old site and they tank in search engines. And it's really common. So um, we're really ahead of the game as far as that goes. But you're right. The, the marketing piece is the next step. And we always kind of prepare our clients, letting them know that there's a lot of not that interesting stuff happening visually for them during the early phases of the, of the project and then it gets a lot more fun after we get through the sitemap and the wireframes and they can actually see all this stuff come to life mm -hmm. um, but the marketing team will work on sitemap as the next step like you said which is really important it's defining the main navigation items for your website and also every sub navigation every major page that's going to exist on your site gets mapped out and organized at this point in time um, based on all of their keyword research, competitive analysis, market analysis, taking all the goals we came to from the research and discovery, applying that all into creating this sitemap. It can be done really, really well, and most, most times it's not done really well by a lot of other folks because it's easy to just say, oh, I need a homepage and an about page and a product page. Um, but we go very deep into that process to find out exactly what they do need to achieve their goal and also to do the research to word them properly. So we take a, a very scientific approach to putting the names of the navigation items, the page names and the URL. Everything is based on research. It's not just based on, you know, whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, so that, that's where we go next is the sitemap creation. And that, again, needs to go back for approval. And all this stuff takes time to get the approval, to get the feedback, to do the revisions. It might happen you know, more times than the client might like, but it's really important to get all of this right. Sometimes they delay because someone's on vacation. Um, and so, you know, that, this is a sidebar, but when people ask us, 
how long a project is going to take. And we tell them it's typical that it might be four to six months for an average size website. They sometimes are shocked. They think it's going to be four to six weeks. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is this is why it takes so long, because we want to be really prepared and really sure that what we're creating is is correct from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Or they might think that they've already done the sitemap because they come to us saying we need a homepage and about page and a shop page. Right. But when we come down to it, we find out there's seven categories of products and maybe those categories should be main level navigation or maybe we need separate entry points for those types of things. It's really important to go through that exploration phase. It is. Yeah. And building trust with the client is also really important. Um, when we have longstanding relationships, we 100% of the time already have that trust because we build it, we earn it, we know that we're going to deliver or over deliver. When it's a brand new client, sometimes we have to work on that trust a little bit to get there um, because this is a big commitment for them, both time and financially. But the thing is, we do this a hundred times a year they do this one time every five years ten years sometimes so they need to be able to trust us that we know what we're doing that we do this every day um, and that they they don't and you know there's nothing wrong with that it's not their job to make websites all the time right Um, so yeah trust is a really big important part as well so once the sitemap is approved and gone through those revisions it's not even time yet to do the design and <laughs> clients are always really excited to see the design. They want to see what their new homepage will look like. But we have another step in between the sitemap and design where we create wireframes. So can you s- explain a little bit about what a wireframe is and what to look for in those? Sure. And the wireframes are a very unfun part of the project for the <laughs> client. They really want to see the design at this point. And we have to push back and say, no, we're going to just sketch this out. Um, so that we know the priority of the content first and we know what's going to go on every page. And a wireframe is really just a gray sketch of each page with a rough box where things are supposed to go um, so that we can illustrate kind of a hierarchy of the content on the page without having any design to cloud their judgment. Because if we just go straight to design and we present that to the client, they're going to get so overwhelmed with the visual aspect of it that they'll forget to go back and look at the structure, like what order things go in, mm-hmm. how big is something versus something else, what is the primary action we're trying to draw um, the customer to on each page. So the wireframe really helps keep it focused on just content structure. Mm-hmm. It can also be confusing for them, though, because sometimes they won't understand the exercise or what a wireframe is, and they'll think this is the website design, and then we'll get feedback like, boy, it's really gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or they'll say all the photos look the same because yeah. it's just the icon of an image. Yeah. So, But that is really important because a lot of clients, when they come to us, maybe they have an old website that, like you said, is 10 years old. And every page looks the same where it's copy and one photo in the corner or hero image and copy underneath. And the wireframes help them understand that this type of page could have a video at the top. This could be set up in tiles. This could be more of a carousel. So helping them understand like how that content could be structured and making sure they're thinking about do we actually have content for this? So if they want to sell all of these products and they're like, well, we don't have four photos for every product. We have one, if that. That's important to think about, can we not include four photos or do we need to go get that content? So 
it helps them plan a little bit more for down the line, I think. Yeah, it's way more efficient because it's much quicker to create these wireframes than a full design is. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the fun part, the design, the look and feel. Yeah. Um, and that's everybody's favorite part. And they they get really excited because we, I think that we take the brand that they have and try to push the envelope. So not making it look like not them, but making it look like the best version of them. So I think that's the most exciting part. Yeah, definitely. And they do too. And it's also kind of a stressful part because you're putting everything out there. It's all based on your creative eye and you know we're making something out of nothing. But what we've done up to this point is minimize surprises. So because of every step we've gone through up to this point, nothing should be shocking to them. We've mm -hmm. already determined what exactly the pages are going to be, what's going to be on each page, the order it's going to appear in, the priority of each of those items. So now when we're painting on top of it, the you know the fun visual design, they've already decided on everything else that goes into it. So it takes away a lot of that risk. It takes away a lot of the surprise and it sets us up for success, but also them for success so mm -hmm. that we're not going back and mangling this design a million times until it's unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. The other thing we do with the design, and it's something we do with all of our visual work, including logos and branding, is we only present one option to our client, and it's our best option. We're presenting what we feel is the absolute best recommendation for them visually um, and, and functionally, because it has to work really well, without giving them something to compare it to. Because invariably, if you give them multiple options, they pull pieces from each one and combine them into a Frankenstein thing that makes designers go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and is usually not the best no, solution. Definitely not. And no. and we're not unreasonable about this process. We usually tell them this up front, like, hey, you're not getting options. You're getting one design that is our best recommendation. And if you hate it, we'll start over with the design. We'll give you another best recommendation. But we're not giving you a whole bunch to borrow from. Yeah. So once they they get that initial design, it's usually their homepage, maybe a few interior pages, large sections. It's not the whole site. It's not every page. But once they approve that part of it, then we go through and design the other, the other parts of it. And so a lot of times we call this modular content panels. Um, can you explain a little bit about that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. So the first view of a visual design, we call the design direction. So we want to get approval on that first, just like everything else along the way. We're taking small steps. Um, so we give them just a glimpse into the major pages of their site. And if they want to adjust it, we adjust it at that time before we build out every single unique page on the site in that design. When we get to the user experience and the modular content panels, this is kind of a technique we use that's you know part development, part design, where we like to create a visual library of different types of content that they can use, not just on the site on day one, but also to build new pages into the future on their own without having to ask us. So it's kind of like a toolkit. Um, and each one is, is like handcrafted to look exactly like their brand and to match the visual design. And we'll put together, it's, it's not uncommon to have maybe 25 to 30 unique modular content panels. And an example of one might be a sliding card carousel of blog posts, let's say. Another one might be just a big title text with smaller body copy under it. Another one might be 
a white paper download with a call to action. So every bit of the site that they need that we've drawn out throughout this process, we design in like a compartmentalized modular panel so that they can piece them together in a million different ways into the future um, and have those building blocks to keep building out content. Mm -hmm. So all of that takes some time. We go back and forth. We talk through all of these different things. And then they finally, they approve the design. And this is the part where a lot of times they, we tell them, okay, well, we'll, we'll talk to you in five or six weeks when, <laughs> when the development is on its way. So can you talk about what we're doing behind the curtain in the development part? Yeah, this is, this is a part that is a stressful time for the client because they're just waiting waiting for us to be done basically when we're developing the site we're taking the visual design that we've been provided from creative from our creative team and we're turning it into an actual piece of software or a website so we take those designs and we do what's called a cut up so you cut up the visual image and convert it into the pieces that make up an html page um, and along with the programming that goes along with any of the interactive components, any of the backend functionality that's on the server side where you're doing things like talking to the database or relating different types of content, say like staff has um, a relationship to offices. And if you go to an office page, we want to automatically show the staff that work in that office. So that's something that would happen on the backend. And really every single thing you see on the website is hand-coded by one of our programmers. Because every site we build, we build from scratch without using a theme, without using any type of starter template, nothing like that. It's all hand-built specifically to achieve what the customer was trying to do. And that takes a lot of time. Our, our engineers are extremely talented and they're really fast as far as development time is concerned, but it still takes you know, like you said, six weeks, eight weeks, depending on the size of the project, could be more than that. I think that's really important to note, too, that all of our developers are here in-house and we don't outsource any to another firm or another country. And we know the quality of the code that's coming out so we don't have to untangle a rat's nest of code or anything like that when it comes back to us. So the timing takes a little bit longer, but it's clean and it's there and usable. Yeah, it does take longer, not due to the fact that our people are in-house, but due to the fact that we're creating it from scratch. It's actually a lot faster and more efficient having our people here. That seems obvious. Um, but if you mm -hmm. try to outsource development to anywhere, there's always miscommunication. Things get dropped. Things get missed along the way. You end up with way more rounds of revisions. Sometimes you're dealing with time zone discrepancies, so it takes you know 24 hours for anything to get addressed. So that's another advantage to an in-house team is just you're on demand, you're there all the time, you're not waiting for anyone to fit it in their queue. It's been properly prioritized and it just gets done. Um, but yeah, it does take time still. Um, so what does the client see after it's you know 90% of the way there when it's developed and they see the actual site for the first time on a staging site? What should they be looking for? What should they be aware of? Well, at this point, they should not be surprised by anything at all. They've seen every single unique page already mocked up in something like Photoshop compositions. And it should look exactly the same as what they've already seen, but now real and functional. 
and we call that the beta stage of the site. So we might be missing content at that point in time, but everything should be functional. All of the major page areas should exist. Every page in the navigation should be linked up. Um, everything should be working. And that's when we release it to the client to start doing a review, make sure everything works as expected. Um, if we need to adjust anything just based on the reality of how uh, an interaction might have worked out, maybe they didn't like the end result, we'll tweak it at that mm -hmm. time. But more often than not, it's as planned as they expected, and it's more of like a content loading period once we're into beta. They're editing copy, they're giving us photos, they're providing us videos, which they usually wait to the last second to give us so that it goes in during beta. And, and from mm -hmm. there, we're just working toward the approved beta, which is the, the time to go live and launch the new site. Mm -hmm. So when they approve the beta site, you just press one button, right? And it goes live? Yep, that's it. And then they just make like a billion dollars and everybody's happy. That's awesome. I know, it's great. We do such a good job. <laughs> <laughs> but really, maybe we can talk a little bit about what happens on launch day. Launch day is something that is, it's a coordinated effort often with their internal IT folks because we may be hosting the site for them, but ultimately they control their own domain name. Um, and to launch a site, you have to change some things with the domain to adjust where it's pointing at. Um, so the domain is something like cypressnorth.com. And behind the scenes, that name has an IP address, which is a series of numbers. And those numbers match up to one computer on the internet. And when we want to launch a new site, we need to change those numbers so that cypressnorth.com now looks at a different number, which means a different computer on the internet. And that's called a DNS change. And that's something that we need to coordinate with their IT folks, or sometimes they give us access to just handle it for them. But it takes a little prep ahead of time, and things can go horribly wrong if you do it wrong. Sometimes <laughs> you lose all your email. Sometimes like all kinds of systems go down if someone doesn't know what they're doing. So it is a relatively simple process as long as you do it right. And we provide like really clear instructions on that and help them through it. Um, but we cut over from the old site to the new site by making that DNS change. And then um, over the course of about an hour, it rolls out worldwide in most cases and everyone starts seeing the new site and then you're live and we party. Yeah. <laughs> and from a marketing standpoint, there's a lot of steps on the marketing side towards the launch of the site as well with putting in title tags and meta descriptions and all of those fun things for search, but also on the launch side, making sure that their old site redirects properly to the new site and mapping all of those links. And that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily consider on the, on the launch side. I would say that's the number one biggest mistake that a lot of people make is they either they don't think it's important to do the redirects or they just plain forget or didn't know that they were supposed to. But if you have a pre-existing site and you don't redirect all of the major ranking pages, you will plummet in search engines and you'll have to start over and it takes months to rebuild all of those rankings. Mm -hmm. So do your redirects, yes. people. If you learn one thing from this episode, yeah. do your redirects. <laughs> so, 
after launch, we are typically of the mindset, we say, you know, it's a living, breathing thing, a website, and you don't just launch it and then ignore it forever. It's not a printed piece that once it's printed, that's what it is. It's a website. So you constantly have to maintain and support that. And we offer that for our clients in the form of maintenance packages where we build a site that they can update themselves. So if they want to add a product or add a blog post, anything like that, add a page, they can do that. But many of our clients ask us to do that on their behalf, um, as well as just maintain new functionality and add on different things. And um, can you talk about some of the options for that or things that people should consider when they're thinking through that? Yeah, you, you definitely need ongoing maintenance and support for any new website or it'll fall into ruin over time. It could be as simple as bug fixes and security updates all the way to like a full white glove service that that we offer where we manage and maintain the hosting we will load new blog posts we'll edit content we'll do everything for you we'll shoot photography we'll keep the site fresh and up to date um, some of our clients want that but it's really important to have that code maintained and updated over time which again is another important piece to having an in-house team our team can maintain high quality code and keep it high quality forever, really. And you don't have to start over with a new site in five years because the thing's falling apart. If you were to outsource something to the lowest bidder, which is really common, people kind of consider programmers just a commodity, you will get something that is unmaintainable into the future. You'll get a pile of rat nest code that can't be made secure makes it really time consuming to find bugs, makes it really time consuming to ex extend functionality and add new features, and ultimately gives you an experience you don't like. You, will, you won't like living with this site for the next five plus years or less. Um, we like to say if you build it right, a site will last you minimum five years, and that's just the, the front end visual appeal that you know, might change with the times, but the code foundation is rock solid and you can build on it for another five years just by visually refreshing it. If you start off with the wrong built site, either with just using a theme or having the lowest cost person develop it, we typically see about a two year or less shelf life before you have to throw the entire thing out and then do it over again, which is just bad money. We've kind of gone through our whole process. Are there times that you wouldn't recommend that somebody go through this full process? Yeah, there, there are times because I kind of feel like with this conversation, it's been like an ad for Cypress North, which it wasn't meant to be. But there are times when we don't recommend using us. And we're very candid with clients when they come to us and they ask us for a website and they describe who they are and what they're trying to do. And we'll tell them, look, you don't need our level of services. We're going to be too expensive for what you're looking to do. And here are some people we'd recommend that might be able to help you at a lower cost. The times where that happens are generally when a website isn't a core piece of a client's business. If it's just a brochure or they just have, need a presence online because everyone does, it's not worth spending big money and getting, you know, top-notch quality for a one-page website or something that they don't use to drive business to their own, you know, get revenue on their own. It's just kind of a secondary thing. We are upfront and we tell them, you know, we're not the right fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we give people the honest truth and tell them that we're not necessarily the right fit for them, I think that builds a lot of trust where maybe they recommend us to somebody else. 
um, we can tell them that they can save the money they would have spent with us and use it on developing their brand or maybe doing a different type of marketing, whether it's with us or not. I think people respect that when we tell them the truth that we're not the right fit for them. So what do you think, has there been any big shifts that have changed since you've been doing this? You've been creating websites for a lot of years. You're very young, but you have many years of experience. (laughs) Many, many years. So back in the day, we used to carve them into stone, like a tablet. No, technology is changing so fast. And you're right, when we started doing this, when I started doing this 15 plus years ago, it was a completely different landscape. Things that are acceptable today just weren't even possible back then. Um, And so the level of interactivity that customers have come to expect from a website has skyrocketed um, along with the expectation of performance. So not only do they want it to be like really flashy, cool, interactive, but they want it to be super fast loading and responsive, which has been a challenge. Um, But thankfully with computing power over time, things have gotten a lot more possible. Um, I think one thing that hasn't changed is that it's a struggle with content management systems for everyone. Um, I like to call them compromise management systems because no matter which one you choose, it's a compromise, if it, whether it's performance or usability by your staff or cost, whatever it might be, there's no perfect solution for anyone really. So those have kind of evolved over time to get better, but there's still no, no perfect choice there. Um, but I'm starting to see a lot more competitors come into the space with new ideas for how to do content management. And I think that's going to be a big evolution over time, um, possibly with what people refer to as headless content management systems, where you can kind of have any back end that your team works in, but the front end is totally disconnected so that uh, it can be more easily updated. It can do things that might not be possible in the CMS itself, um, that kind of thing. So I think that's probably a, a thing that's coming. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, so lightning round questions before we end here. Proprietary or open source CMS? Open source or die. <laughs> so you feel strongly <laughs> about that one? I do, yeah. No okay. no client has ever been happy with a proprietary CMS. Agreed. Who should own the code? The client, always, every time. <laughs> Good answers. Uh, what is the one best thing that a client can do to ensure a successful product? Boy, that's a tough question. Um, I think it's being honest with themselves about what it is that their business is capable of achieving and aligning on the goals that they're looking to to set out to, to accomplish um, and not making them things that are just, you know, not right fit for them just because they think it's it's something they should be doing. But being realistic, being honest about what your business is and what you're trying to achieve and helping us understand that and help you achieve those things is going to go a long way. Yep. Honesty is the best policy. Yeah. What is the one best thing a client can do to ensure a poor website project? Um, that would be to not trust your vendor at all and get yourself into a proprietary CMS and really not have a clear vision for what you're trying to achieve and just you know stream of consciousness, make changes all, all the time throughout the process without having a solid plan in place. That's three things. I'm not sure if you're not understanding the assignment (laughs) or if it's my question. I don't understand. (laughs) Um, What's the one thing that most companies don't consider when they're choosing a vendor and they should? 
probably the in-house capabilities that they offer because every vendor says that they do everything and that's usually not true. Most of the time they're just a salesperson, you know, getting you on the hook and then they outsource everything and the project just, you know, suffers because of that. What's the one thing that companies should avoid when choosing a vendor? They should avoid anyone trying to sell their own product to you as a customer for a website. Like I have my own website platform or my own CMS. I want to make you a website in my own platform that no one else knows anything about. And what's one thing a company can do to vet the potential vendor better? Definitely see examples of work that they've done before. And if you can, talk to any of their clients that they have done that work for and see what they say. Because mm -hmm. a burned client is going to be really honest about the experience. And likewise, someone who had a great experience is going to just gush over the, the vendor. And if, if you get that, then that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. I love our clients as raving fans. It's awesome. Me too. So finally, can you give the people currently listening right now that are at the beginning of this process a pep talk? Sure. It's important to remember that you don't have to be the expert in the topic. You need to rely on your vendor. And if you can trust them and you feel like you're in good hands, that's your job is to pick the right vendor who is going to take you to the finish line with your website. It's not up to you to be a website expert. It's just up to you to choose the right vendor and they'll get you through it and it'll be a great process. Great. Well, thank you. I think this was really helpful. Hopefully super valuable for our listeners who are starting this or thinking about starting this process and hopefully they feel a lot more informed about it now. Yeah, so, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Agency Scoop. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe so you don't miss a show. You can also find us on the Cypress North YouTube channel or follow the Agency Scoop on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'd love to hear your ideas for future topics. See you next time on the Agency Scoop.